Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, it's so good to be with you again as we continue uh, to roll through these uncertain times. If you're joining us for the very first time, we're in a brand new series right now called The Unsaved Christian, and we are working through this book uh, by Dean uh, and Sarah, a pastor at Tallahassee, Florida, and it's talking about, which I, I agree with Pat, the pastor, uh, this may be, as far as the United States of America is concerned, uh, the largest unreached people group uh, in our country. And, and the reason that is, is there's really no attempt to reach them at all. Uh, so we've been talking about that. But the other thing that we've been doing is we have been assessing ourselves uh, to ask the uncomfortable question, am I a cultural Christian? Uh, and boy, the emails have flooded in. And I, I just want to commend a lot of you that uh, are humble enough to say, you know, I'm asking some questions. And you know why? That's good because that's what we're told to do. This Second uh, Corinthians, I say this every week in this study, uh, Paul tells us to uh, tells us to assess ourselves to see if we are of the faith, and so today we'll jump into some specifics. We talked about the moral the moral theist. These are different types of cultural Christians, and today we'll weigh in on another type. And uh, you know, we'll open in a word of prayer uh, before we do. I do want to remind you that if you are in Hazel Green, Alabama, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys with Man Church this Sunday night. Excited about that at Bethlehem Baptist Church next Friday night, the 24th of July. I'll be in Lexington, uh, Tennessee, and I'll be there at First Baptist Church, Lexington. And also, they'll be doing a man church and a big fish fry for the men as uh, we begin to implement uh, the discipleship strategy, which is available to you at themanchurch.com. If you've never been to themanchurch.com, uh, we uh, love to come alongside uh, community groups and churches or even individuals uh, that are serious about a men's discipleship strategy. As we say at themanchurch.com, disciple men, change everything. And now more than ever, do we desperately need godly men. So let's open up with a word of prayer and we'll jump in. Uh, by the way, if you want to find out details about any of the events I just mentioned to you, go to burgessministries.com and look under events. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for our time together today. And Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, uh, that, that I um, am, am not shying away from the truth, but at the same time help me to have the right spirit, help me to communicate clearly as I am a flawed communicator and a flawed individual. Uh, my hope is only found in you. Uh, and Lord, help me to communicate clearly not only what we are saying, which is very important today, but to make sure uh, that, uh, that, that the people that are watching and listening do not close off and interpret uh, something that I am not saying today. Uh, so help me, Lord, to balance that perfectly. Uh, thank you for this time together, you know, discussing this very important subject of cultural Christianity uh, and being reminded of who you say that we are, not maybe who we say we are. Uh, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray, and we, and we beg for discernment. Amen. Okay, so uh, this is th now, we're, now we're going through these different types, and today I, I know this is going to happen. Uh, some of you are going to get upset today, and I apologize about that. Uh, but I think sometimes in order for us to examine ourselves, sometimes we have to get upset. So I'm just going to lay it out as it is. Uh, hopefully you'll receive it. But here's the one thing that, that, I'm, that I'm not saying. Here's what we're going to say today. We're beginning to walk through different kinds of cultural Christians. Last week was the moral theist, and this week will be the nominal Catholic. I know I've said I've said Catholic, uh, and I know that some of you are getting ready. Oh my goodness! Here comes a Protestant. Uh, let me let me let me clarify this for you. 
here's what my goal is. That is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, period. My identity is not found in any denomination of Christianity. My identity is found under the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ, who has saved me by grace through faith, period. Uh, And then I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling through the sanctification process that Scripture speaks to as he begins to make me more like him, and I begin to feed the spirit, which is at battle with my flesh, until I become full spirit. That battle will continue until I'm standing in the presence of the Lord when he returns or when my body dies and my spirit then will be in his presence. Uh, and, and so I'm a follower of Jesus. That, that's my identity. All this denominational stuff, if it means more to you than your identity in Christ, including being Catholic, then I think you have a problem. And we're going to talk about that. But I would say the exact same thing about any denomination that may be Protestant. If the, denominational, if the denomination is more of your identity than Christ himself, you already are starting at a problematic place. And that's just the truth as one brother to another brother or sister who may be hearing this or viewing this. And so we're going to talk about this. Um, we're not, and this here's, now here's what we're not saying. We are not saying because you're Catholic that you're not a Christian. We're not saying that. Okay? Now you may have to vet out some things that maybe you've been taught in Catholicism that maybe is not biblical, uh, but, but that's part of the process. That doesn't mean uh, that you can't be. I, I have friends that I know and love, that I know I'm going to spend eternity with, and they are Catholic, and uh, they are not nominal Catholics. And then I have acquaintances and friends in in my life in the past that were Catholic, just like I claim to be Protestant, and both of us were as lost as we could be. Uh, I was as lost as they were. Uh, They lived their life the same way I did. They just didn't miss Mass. Okay, Uh, But we all did the same things together, and I just never went to church. All they did that was different to me is they went to Mass. That was it. Uh, so I've seen both, but this is not, the, the Catholics do not have the corner market on cultural Christianity, but they're also not exempt from it. Okay? So everybody okay? And, and, and keep in mind, as I've told you guys, as I go through this process, I think I touched on some of this back when we were talking about inviting Jesus into our heart and the sinner's prayer and some of those things. I'll tell you one of the things that bothers me as a, as a Christian and having a public platform is the emails that I get from what I consider to be arrogant people of the faith who keep telling me if I would just do fill in the blank, then I would be a real Christian. Uh, I've been told uh, with every denomination that exists, if I would just be them, then I would finally get it right. Uh, I've had the same thing happen with the Catholic Church. If I would just declare myself part of the Catholic Church, then I would finally be a true Christian. And I must tell you, that is not a biblical statement. I'm sorry, it's just not. I don't have to be Catholic to truly be a Christian. I don't have to be a hyper-Calvinist to truly be a Christian. I don't have to be a member of the Church of Christ to truly be a Christian. I don't have to be a Baptist, a Methodist, a fill-in-the-blank, a Nazarene, a Seventh-day Adventist. You fill-in-the-blank, that's not what makes me a Christian. And I reject anybody who says otherwise. Uh, what makes me a Christian is whether I have been redeemed by Jesus or not. Uh, so we will, we will jump into this particular study because it's going to be about the nominal Catholic. Uh, it, it starts out about how we go about reaching generational 
Catholics. And, and uh, there's a, a, a quote that starts out chapter 12 in the book by Dean and Sarah, who, by the way, came from a Catholic background. Uh, and he said, the cultural Catholic, this is Chris Castaldo's quote, the cultural Catholic is like an agnostic offering lip service to God's existence while resting, I mean, while resisting his divine authority. And he tells the story, and, and you see this in all, all types of cultural Christianity. He kept wondering why uh, Papa Tony, who was his uncle, uh, continued to take him to Notre Dame football games or watch them on TV when they lived in Florida. And, uh, and the reason why uh, his, uh, his uh, Papa Tony uh, told him they were Notre Dame fans, he said, I asked him one day on this great day when he took me to Indiana to see Notre Dame play, and we went to all the sites, touched down Jesus and all this. Um, I asked him, why are we Notre Dame fans? Most of my friends like teams that were closer to where we lived, and this was a really long drive to watch our team. And his answer was, we are Notre Dame fans because we are Catholic. Uh, and he said he quickly and confidently replied that answer. Uh, he said, I had never been told about uh, uh, anything about that before. I didn't even know what he meant. I knew that I was Italian, and I knew my grandpa loved to talk about that. So I figured it had something to do with being Italian. But for 20 more years, I never heard another word from him again about his faith, aside from his affiliation with a service group called the Knights of Columbus. Then years later, he asked me, now that he said when he was an adult, and keep in mind, Dean and Sarah became a Protestant pastor and is today. And he said the next time that faith was brought up is when uh, my Papa Tony asked me while we were watching a Notre Dame football game in my parents' living room, why aren't you Catholic? Uh, and he said, uh, I'm Catholic, your dad's Catholic, and so are all your uncles. Well, surprised and confused, I continued the conversation and learned that my grandfather was content with family members and friends who were professing atheists and agnostics as long as they still said they were Catholic. Uh, and he said, uh, but it bothered him uh, that I was saying that I was a Christian, but I didn't identify myself as a Catholic. Twenty years after our trip to Notre Dame, I sat there fascinated. Another example of this was, a, was a, about his wife, my grandmother, who was a professing unbeliever and not a Catholic. Uh, his grandmother had no faith and didn't speak of any faith at all, but when she died, my grandfather at her funeral uh, had a priest officiate the ceremony and conduct the traditions of a Catholic funeral and burial. And he said, this is an example of what we call the cultural Christianity version of being Catholic. Uh, he said this, this grandfather, I said uncle, I meant grandfather. His grandfather, Papa Tony, uh, lived his life with no uh, evidence of faith whatsoever, but he still professed to be a Catholic uh, and still pulled for Notre Dame because he was Catholic. And even when his wife died, who never acknowledged faith of any kind and didn't acknowledge being Catholic, he made sure that a priest officiated the ceremony and she was given a Catholic burial. He said, today I understand that my late grandfather was a cultural or nominal Catholic. This is a different animal than, the cultural, uh, than, than cultural Christianity from a Protestant background. Catholicism is, is, is such a deeply rooted family-oriented tradition that even people who are not believers whatsoever will still claim that they are Catholic. It can be almost like an ethnic or cultural identity 
rather than a set of beliefs. And and I will admit that I have um, I have experienced this uh, myself. Uh, as I said, growing up, I, I remember vividly uh, being um, you know completely away from the authority of Christ, uh, a cultural Christian. I believed in Jesus. I was baptized as a child, baptized again as a teenager, uh, then left the church at the age of 19 and did not return till I was 31. And, uh, and that entire time, I claimed to be a Christian, even though, as you've heard my testimony, I lived as a perpetual, deliberate sinner in opposition to everything the Bible says a follower of Christ should be. Uh, but I remember having friends who were Catholic who lived exactly the same way that I did. But as I said in the opening, I, I remember thinking it was kind of odd that wherever we were, uh, they, would, they would look in the phone book, because we didn't have cell phones in those days, and they would find the nearest Catholic church, and they would go to Mass. Uh, after we had been out <laughs> all night doing things that... Uh, that we should never been doing as followers of Christ. And these were not stumbles for them. They lived their life this way, but they were still going to make Mass uh, every week. And uh, and they at least were doing more than than uh, Pastor Dean and Sarah's grandfather. It doesn't sound like he even attended Mass. But, but it, it is a different animal because Catholicism is so, to some people, tied to their identity, not Jesus, but Catholicism, that it almost comes across as an ethnicity versus their faith. Uh, think about your friends and neighbors, and you'll realize this is something you see regularly. A young couple will be unmarried and have a child. While they have no connection to the Catholic Church outside of their own childhood, christenings, confirmations, and first communions, as soon as the newborn baby is ready to leave the house, this non-Christian but apparently Catholic couple will schedule their baby's baptism and go before the church. There will likely be a special gown handmade for the occasion and celebration following the service with food and dessert, with the exception of Christmas Eve Mass. You know, if, if, if this year they go the extra uh, mile for their Catholicism and go see family for the holidays, they will likely not return again until the next Catholic rite of passage comes for their child. The grandparents will not care about their lack of church attendance or beliefs as long as their granddaughter was baptized and their family doesn't leave the Catholic Church. And this is something you look at if you want to see a nominal Catholic. They don't attend church at all. They don't even profess to be believers. They might even be unmarried, and they might even have a baby, but they're going to make sure the baby gets christened at the Catholic Church. Uh, and nobody questions it. Everybody, well, as long as that's done, everything will be all right. Uh, of course, that's not Scripture, uh, but, uh, but that's what you'll see. Uh, and it says, you'll see pictures of the next milestone of Catholic life, First Communion. If nothing changes in their spiritual lives, the confirmation classes begin a few years later, and the child and parents might not be back and may not grace the door of the church again until it's time for the daughter's wedding, in which the grandma will insist it will be a Catholic wedding. Um, and I remember a conversation that went on one time between... Um, um, well, I, I better get real general about this. Two people that I know and love very well, and one of them is Protestant and one is Catholic. Uh, neither one at the time uh, that I knew were, were, were all that devoted to either, uh, but they were having a discussion, and I remember uh, the, uh, the Protestant person saying to his friend the Catholic when they were talking about uh, the Catholic man's son, 
uh, versus the Protestant man's daughter. And uh, the, the comment was made by the Catholic friend, well, you Protestants think that, uh, you know, it's either your way or no way, and you think you're the only ones that are really going to heaven, to which the Protestant said to the Catholic, well, wait a minute, if our children decide to get married, I will not demand that they get married in any certain church, but you'll demand that they be married in the Catholic church or the marriage won't be acknowledged. So which one of us thinks we're the only true church? Which was a great point. Uh, so, and you know, you look at the word Catholic, which stands for the universal church. That is a declaration that a lot of people believe that the Catholic church is the true universal church. Uh, scripture wouldn't support that, but I know that a lot of Catholic people believe that, and, uh, and, I, and I've certainly dealt with that in my own walk, but I also have many friends who are Catholic that, you know, we acknowledge that we will, we, we are serving the same Jesus, we are followers of Jesus, uh, and we do not let our identity be in whether we're Catholic or Protestant or any denomination, the identity is found with whether we follow Christ or not. So as you know, in this book, uh, The Unsaved Christian, uh, Pastor Dean and Sarah does a great job of putting together these lists that you can kind of look at and say, is this, is this you or is this someone you love? And he does this for the nominal Catholic as well. And, of course, me being Protestant, I don't know as much about these things, so a lot of this was very uh, in, uh, informative to me, even though I have seen it in people that I know who are Catholic. Uh, and here's what the nominal Catholic, here's the list. You, as, as Jeff Foxworthy would say, you might be a redneck if, just like we have done in other chapters, you might be a nominal Catholic if uh, you will claim to, to be Catholic before you claim to be a Christian. Uh, I remember this in a very uh, harsh moment in my life, one that you'll see me reference a lot and hear me reference a lot because uh, it, it doesn't get much bigger than the death of one of your children. And I remember when my two-and-a-half-year-old son uh, went to heaven the night that that happened, uh, when I was standing in the hospital with the medical team, and the Lord was just prompting me uh, that this was a incredible moment to try to point people to Jesus. Everybody's watching to see if your faith is real. First Peter 1, 6, and 7. Uh, be, learn that verse. It'll help you. It'll help the, if you learn those two verses in the Bible, it'll help you a lot. There's many others, but, but cling, cling to that one so when trials come your way, you can quote that so you kind of understand what's going on. But anyway, so um, um, I was standing there, and I asked the medical team, you know, when my, my son's uh, uh, sweet little body was laying on that table with no life in it, I asked them, I said, if you were in this position right now, or if that was your body laying right there, what would happen to you? Would you be standing in the presence of the Lord? I'm asking all of you if you are followers of Jesus. To which one of them said, well, I'm Catholic. And I said, I didn't ask you if you were Catholic. I asked you if you've been redeemed. Are you a follower of Jesus? And, and say, so that, that's an example of what he's talking about. Uh, and I will say that the Lord used that evening uh, for some in, the, in that exact moment. For others, I found out years later that God actually changed some of that medical team's lives forever in that moment. Uh, by, and, of course, prompting that conversation to take place. So you're probably a nominal Catholic if you're if being a Catholic is your identity, not being a Christian or not being a follower of Christ, if being Catholic supersedes being a follower of Jesus, that is likely problematic. Number two, uh, if you point to rites of passage and family heritage as a reason for being Catholic and not any actual belief of any doctrine or theology. 
what makes you Catholic? Well, I was born into a Catholic family. That's, that's probably not good. Uh, that, that, that's not the answer that the Bible would be looking for. Uh, nominal Catholic rarely attends Mass unless prompted by a family member, but not going to church uh, is better than going to a Protestant church, or worse, getting saved in a non-Catholic church. If you believe that redemption can't be found outside the Catholic church, and you would rather your children not be attending church than to be active in a Protestant church, that's probably a bad sign. Another thing on the list of you might be a nominal Catholic if, uh, if you briefly re-engage once you uh, become a parent by having the baby christened, and then again for confirmation and First Communion, meaning you've never been in church at all, but when you finally have a baby, all of a sudden you re-engage the church again because you want the baby to be baptized as a baby. And, and you know, and we, we've talked a little bit about baby baptisms. Nothing wrong with dedicating, dedicating your child to God and nothing wrong with declaring that you'll raise the child in the faith. But I, I'm telling you, and I've heard some of the answers that are not very good on how we, we justify biblically that a baby can be redeemed uh, and, and, and be saved by being christened at a church. Now, uh, I, I believe and can support that the Bible teaches that there is an age of accountability, not a specific number, but, uh, you know, it, a, a baby throughout scriptures, you see, you think about David, when his baby died, uh, you hear David saying uh, that once the baby died, that he, the baby will not be coming back to him, but he will go to the baby in the presence of God, one of the places where you see this. But I think we all can say that you know it, it's it's pretty difficult uh, to for a baby to uh, believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and to acknowledge that God raised Him from the dead on the third day, and it's difficult for a baby to repent of sin, and Jesus said clearly, repent or perish. Um, however, if if if, if you re-engage the church uh, once you have a baby and go through these rituals but that's your only involvement in the church, you're probably a nominal Catholic, and you probably have been led with a false sense of where salvation comes from. Uh, second, it carries enough exposure to the idea of God to uh, possess some guilt and know that something is off base concerning their faith, but often uh, have very little understanding of the gospel, uh, believes pleasing God is about meeting milestones and then managing guilt. That's not the gospel. You know, I, that, that's one of the things. I, I have Catholic friends that if you bring up the gospel, they can tell you what the gospel is exactly, and they are actually quite knowledgeable of Scripture. Uh, but I've noticed, just like the cultural Protestant, uh, that the nominal Catholic doesn't know much about Scripture at all. So that's usually a sign. You don't know much about Scripture. You know something's not right. You've got some guilt. You think you can manage that guilt by certain rituals and uh, and things, but you don't really understand what it means to be redeemed. Uh, the last sign that you might be a nominal Catholic, uh, you often have a, uh, which is kind of curious, a small view of God. Uh, he can be easily appeased, but doesn't interfere in decision-making with a large view of our obligation to him, and that uh, obligation usually revolves around guilt, not devotion. Um, and so, that, uh, that's a list. I don't know how you match up on that list. I don't know how people you love match up on that list, uh, but, um, but, but that is the list. Now, he also talks about this, this funny story next um, in the book 
uh, he, he tells the story about being asked to wear a white collar uh, to actually officiate a wedding. Uh, these were former uh, members of the Catholic Church that had become Protestants. Uh, they were very involved. They they clearly been redeemed, uh, and they were active members of the church, and they wanted their pastor, Dean and Sarah, to marry them. And when he's going through pre-marriage pre counseling, uh, he then uh, finds out from the woman that he's about to marry that she asked would it be too much trouble for him to wear a white collar when he officiates the wedding, to which he says, I've never put on a white collar. I don't know how to do it. Uh, and she says, well, I go ahead and tell you, I've never told my grandmother that we left the Catholic Church, and I want her to think that a Catholic priest is officiating the wedding. Uh, Pastor Dean and Sarah respectfully declined that request and says, here's what you can tell your grandmother. She's going to watch you be married under the authority of God, and everything we hear today will be straight out of the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and so that was one of these things. I mean, it was almost like, um, you know, he's, he said, I've also had people that left the Catholic Church and have been immersed and baptized, uh, and they do not want that posted online because they don't want their family to see that they are not, uh, in, the, um, not in the Catholic Church anymore. Uh, and then because they think their family says you were already baptized as a child and they're offended that you've been baptized again. But I have to go back to this. If you were only baptized as a child, how did you repent of sin? If you've only been baptized as a child, how did you confess Jesus as Lord? Uh, if, you have, uh, if you were sprinkled as a child, how did you publicly declare to the world that you were dying to your old self and you've been raised to walk a new self. How, how, did, how did that happen? Because the Bible says that's what happens involving redemption. Uh, so I think that is a question to, to ask. And again, anytime you ask um, a nominal Catholic if they're a Christian, they will say, I'm Catholic. They usually don't give uh, any personal story about personal faith in Jesus. Um, and uh, what they do is they get their faith tied up in the tenets of the Catholic Church and so then he gets into what I think is we all want to know, well, how do you start a conversation? Because, I mean, these, this, let's just call it. This could be highly offensive. And I acknowledge that, by the way. Uh, but can I tell you this? I remember the day that a man looked at me and said, hey, your problem is you're lost. And I had claimed to be a Christian since I was a little boy, and I was standing there at 30 years old when he told me this, and it was highly offensive, but it saved my life. So we, so we do acknowledge that this can be difficult. Um, and um, so some conversations um, that you can have um, with people that may be nominal Catholics, uh, he kind of lays out uh, some, of the, some of the things that can help. He, he said, um, a, a good friend of mine is a faithful believer who converted uh, from a Catholic upbringing. She has maintained a loving and respectful relationships with her extended family and so much as she can control those relationships. Remember, we can only control our part of a relationship. We can't control other people. She allows the differences in theological uh, alone. Uh, that's it, not any other differences. Says they, she acknowledges it theologically. She doesn't agree with everything that her Catholic family believes, uh, but she remains an active part of her family while respectfully maintaining the reasons for personally adhering to the teachings of the Bible and attending a Protestant church. However, we know the cost of following Jesus is real, and sometimes people who are struggling to follow Jesus face threats of severing family relationships like 
like a Christian who can converts from Muslim families. You know, they could even be put to death, but they certainly lose uh, their family. Uh, and this can happen sometimes uh, when you may decide that you don't want to be a nominal Catholic anymore, or you may decide that you uh, uh, want to, uh, to leave the church uh, uh, and, and go attend another church. Uh, this sometimes can be, um, can be very, very difficult. Um, and um, so how do you discuss the gospel with people who've been conditioned to think that being identified with something like the Catholic Church is more important than actually believing the gospel? I mean, uh, you may be surprised that sometimes a nominal Catholic um, is actually easier than a nominal Protestant. Now, when now, does some of you go? What are you talking? I'll tell you why. Uh, I saw this happen with a friend of mine. The reason why that is is nominal Protestants, which we'll we'll talk about inch deep, mile wide Protestants next week. The reason why sometimes a cultural Protestant uh, is difficult to convince of their cultural Christianity is most of the things you try to tell them they have heard before. Uh, they may not be applying it. When you're talking about a nominal Protestant, you got to get deeper sometimes and start pointing to the standard. You got to talk to them about sanctification. You got to talk to them about holiness. You got to talk to them about obedience. And then you'll get to places where they'll see it doesn't match up. Sometimes with a nominal Catholic, when you present the gospel, they've never heard it before. They've never heard it presented the way the Bible presents it because a lot of nominal Catholics uh, attend uh, parishes uh, and churches uh, that don't really teach the Bible to individual people. Uh, he, ta- he talked about he, had, um, uh, he knew of one man that had spent his whole life in the Roman Catholic Church and had only heard uh, the message presented in Latin. He'd never heard it in his own language. So he had, he had no idea what the Bible actually said because he'd never been given a copy of his own. Um, you, 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 so it says a lot of times it's easier because with a nominal Catholic, if you present the theology of the actual Bible and what the Bible actually says uh, is the true gospel, sometimes they're hearing that for the first time and they'll be receptive to it. And I, I saw this happen uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, they, uh, they, they may, you know, they realize that what they believe and what the Bible says sometimes is a lot different based on, you know, what uh, parish or church they attend. Uh, and they realize, hey, this is not what I've been taught. But with a Protestant Who's, who's, who's cultural Christian, they've heard all this. They've heard the tenets of the gospel over and over. They may never replied, uh, never applied it, or like me, they may have never been uh, understood lordship and repentance, but they certainly have heard it. But I, I had a friend of mine, um, um, even if a Catholic disagrees with you, usually what they're hearing is new, unlike the cultural Protestant. But there are some documentaries, and you can get them I know you can get them on, on some of the streaming services, and you can go look for this, and it's a great tool. There's two versions of it, uh, and it's called the American Gospel. Uh, the American Gospel. Uh, there's two different ones, but if you watch the first one, and the first one starts out talking about uh, the heresy of the prosperity gospel, so don't, don't think that's all it's about. It gets deeper than that because uh, it gets into, that uh, at a lot of places, uh, the true gospel is not being presented or taught. Uh, so I had a friend of mine who had left the Catholic Church, uh, and he said he was never really taught the Bible, and his mother was in the same boat, and she was very angry about him leaving the church. And I suggested, why don't you sit down with her and y'all watch the American Gospel? 
because in the American gospel, it clearly lays out uh, the, the, uh, the way the gospel is presented in a lot of Catholic churches versus the way the Bible presents the gospel, and it has diagrams and everything. Well, he was expecting her to give him this huge pushback, but when she saw it laid out clearly, she'd never seen that before, and it changed her. And, and, and she understood that she really had never been redeemed. So it didn't offend her. She just had never heard this before. Uh, and she was so wrapped up on, oh, no, my son's not in the Catholic Church anymore, and I can't believe you left the Catholic Church. And he says, but, Mom, I've been redeemed by Jesus, which you should be celebrating, because I was not saved you know, until I encountered the true gospel. So when she saw this, it was just presented so clearly. So it's called the American Gospel. There's two of them. Uh, the second one is called In Christ Alone, and that deals with universalism and some of the, uh, the, the false prophets and teachers we have in churches in America today. That's the second one. But the first one, uh, if, if you get it, it actually has a great part in there that, uh, that talks about the nominal Catholic, and I think it'll be very beneficial to you. As a matter of fact, it radically changed a friend of mine's mother who has given her life to Christ and been redeemed. Praise his holy name. So some conversations you can have. Um, if, if you're talking to the Christian with a Catholic upbringing uh, and you think they're a nominal Catholic, keep the big picture in mind. The battle is not Catholic versus Protestant. They always want to make it that, but that's not what it is. It's rather a battle for the souls to be rendered to Christ. Don't be combative you know, in your newfound zeal uh, for new theology. So if, if you were brought up a, a Catholic and now you're not, and you're trying to reach out and reach a nominal Catholic, the last thing that you need to be is arrogant like you found something they don't know. That, that doesn't need to be your approach. All you need to do is, like this friend of mine did, just present the gospel clearly and point them to Christ in all things. Now, you must prepare for pushback. You may find that Catholic relatives are threatened and offended by your exploration of the gospel, but be courageous, be humble, and be patient. They may want you to identify first as Catholic, the way you were raised. They may expect that you are loyal to the Catholic rites of passage. You can respectfully disagree with theological precepts without scorning the way you were raised. I had uh, uh, a man in my life that I will always be thankful for, Malcolm Street. My first radio job that I was getting paid for, I worked for Malcolm Street at WHMA AM 1390, Anniston, Alabama. And I remember sitting down with him, and I was young and stupid, and he was old and wise. Uh, and he sat down with me, and I was, you know, I was bombastic. I know that may shock you uh, as a young man. And he said, you know what? He said, you're passionate, and you have things that you really, really are passionate about. He said, but as we get out in the world of marketing, and we get out in the world of advertising, and he was teaching me how, you know, you don't get to have all the freedom of a radio show if you don't have any advertisers and how it all works. And he said, one thing I, you probably need to learn, son, do not offend the alligator until you get across the river. And, uh, and I, I, I've often thought about Malcolm Street, meaning don't pick a battle just to have a battle because, you know, the alligator might let you come across the river if you don't upset him. So one of the things that you need to, to keep in mind is that the last thing that you need to say to your family if, if you've been raised a Catholic is to scorn the way you were raised. 
because now you've offended the alligator when you're just trying to get across the river. So that, that's not wise. Don't, don't be combative about that. Stay on topic and on mission. Confess what beautiful things about the gospel that drew you to the true gospel. Uh, what was new to you? What, what were some new things that you maybe had not learned uh, being raised a Catholic that you have found that you'd love for them to know about? You do it as if you're excited that you found something that they might like too, not that they're wrong and now suddenly you're right. Uh, remember what we said about persecution. And I've had to learn this, and I've got some friends uh, that can be bombastic as well. And one thing that we always try to say to each other, and you've heard me say this in this Bible study over the, the, the several years that we've been doing it, if people persecute you, Rick, because you're devoted to Jesus, then you celebrate that. You, 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 you consider that joy. But if people don't like you because you're a jerk, that's not persecution. <laughs> Okay, so persecution is people don't like me because I refuse to compromise Jesus and I'm devoted to Jesus. That kind of persecution is to be celebrated. But people, when you claim sometimes you're being persecuted, but really the reason why people don't like you is because you're a jerk, that's not the same thing. So it's not our goal to be combative, bombastic, and we can still stick to our guns without going there. Remember what, what the Bible says, try to do everything you do, including defending the, the truth in love. Now, there's, there, there's certainly righteous anger. Uh, Jesus showed us that with the turning over the temple tables, but that standard's pretty high. And so be sure we're not getting petty and our flesh is not leading the way in these kinds of conversations. You should also pray for them. Pray that you would love Jesus more than your family and that maybe through your faithfulness to Christ, they might be reached. The next one is this. Stay on the narrow road. You will undoubtedly find theological differences between Catholic teachings and Protestant teachings of the Bible. After all, the texts themselves contain different books, not to mention centuries of different tradition. I mean, the Catholic Bible, Bible will have books in it that the Protestant Bible does not. Uh, when you do, lean into those differences and ask questions. Surround yourself with gospel community and trustworthy mentors. Be sure you have sound theology and learn it, if you don't, from mentors mentors that you can trust. If you're being accused of betraying the Lord by leaving the Catholic Church, know that nowhere in Scripture does Jesus call us to a denomination of any kind. As a matter of fact, all he calls us to is to him, to himself. Uh, so... Uh, for the friend, pastor, mentor, or relative walking alongside a new believer from the Catholic background, let me let you hear this. Know that uh, they may be dealing with significant pressure from family to remain loyal to Catholic tradition. And I've seen this. Uh, knowing that they may be feeling the loss of family relationships because of their newfound commitment to the gospel. They may be the only person in their entire family who now is not Catholic. They may be wrestling with years of being told that to go against the Catholic Church is to go against God. They must have read some of my email. Uh, be prepared to spend time and effort helping them sort through years of ingrained Catholic theology. So these are, these are the different categories that we may be dealing with uh, when dealing with nominal um, Catholic friends, or maybe you are a nominal Catholic, and now you're trying to reach friends and family members of you. Uh, you may find that nominal Catholics have never opened and studied the Bible personally, so this could be refreshing for them to hear biblical principles shared from Scripture. 
Um, and I told you the part about uh, what Dean and Sarah said about his dad, uh, that he never heard the Bible in anything uh, but Latin. And he said uh, an overwhelming majority of the former Catholics that he has baptized were drawn to the gospel because they really had just never heard it before. They carry tremendous burden uh, they, that you've heard called before Catholic guilt, and we've all heard the jokes about that. Uh, he said, then they heard the good news in Christ that God will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Write down Hebrews ten 17. You'll need that. Never again remember the sins and lawless acts when you've repented. Hebrews ten seventeen. That Catholic guilt became the very chauffeur that drove them to the cross. Yeah, use it. Yeah, we all, we all start thinking, what's going to happen to me when I die? I don't know that I've ever been good enough. Remember I talked about that last week. Well, you'll never be good enough. Uh, that, that's the reason why we need Jesus, and uh, because he makes us fully righteous. So this may actually be good news for the nominal Catholic that is, is just burdened, burdened uh, with, uh, with guilt because they're not quite sure of how redemption actually takes place. He said in his experience... The biggest barrier to a nominal Catholic making a decision to follow Christ is not one of damnable good works or a false sense of eternal security or gospel confusion. Like many cultural Christians of any denomination who identify as Protestants, the biggest barrier for many Catholics is fear. Not for their personal safety, but the fear for relationships being ruined and being perceived as disrespectful toward their own family and that family's heritage. If a 32-year-old cultural Christian raised in a mainline Protestant church comes to faith in Christ, his parents may just think their son has gotten a little extreme, and they'll likely be happy that he's found his happiness. If, they, if that's helping him, well, good for him. As long as he doesn't get too religious uh, you know, with, with everyone else, in other words, it isn't a big deal for a Protestant family to have someone say they were a cultural Christian. But for a converted former Catholic, this can be relationally catastrophic. It can send a message to the family that he or she is ungrateful for how they were raised. You know, and, and, and that's something I think that we need to never, never take lightly. You know, if you're, if you're a cultural Protestant, your family may not even care enough about it to be upset. But the, the nominal Catholic who says, I'm leaving the Catholic Church for them, it is a really, really big deal. And, uh, and, you know, I haven't been through that, but I have been through it in relationships with family members that, um, that, that I believe that the Word of God is inerrant, and I believe this is God's revelation about everything, and I have family members who do not. Uh, and I've, I've, had, I've had it take place that if I was going to have a relationship with them, then I would have to compromise what Scripture says and, and when I was put in a position to choose Jesus or them, you got to choose Jesus. Uh, and Jesus did not leave us in a position where that should catch us off guard. Listen to the cost of discipleship from Luke 14, verse 25. If anyone, uh, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. He says, Oh, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know what Jesus says? There's a cost to being a disciple, and it may even cost you your family. It might. You hope it doesn't come to that, but it might. If anybody in your family says it's either us or Jesus, if you're truly going to follow Jesus, you pick Jesus. Not just because, not because you don't like them or you don't respect them or you're trying to dishonor them, but because you're a disciple of Jesus, period. But know that this can take place, and certainly not just, uh, I'm not saying exclusively to Catholics, uh, in their family, because it's happened to me as a Protestant in my family. Uh, but for the Catholic family, sometimes this is more likely. So it, you just need to keep that uh, in the back of your mind if you're trying to help someone who may be going through this. Uh, and, and then you get down to some things that can, that can be uncomfortable. Um, and um, Remember this, not only has a converted former Catholic left the most sacred family traditions, but in the eyes of their family members, they are now not complete Christians. You can't blame Grandma, who attends a morning Mass several times a week, for being concerned. These factors obviously carry great weight in making decisions to trust Christ. Jesus gave some difficult words to all of his followers, uh, and, and I read it to you from Luke 14, but Matthew covers this same speech. In Matthew 10, 37, if you want to write that down, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that doesn't mean that you're, you know, I remember my dad struggled with this part of, of the gospel. I remember this even as a little boy, hearing him talking to my mom. I mean, God doesn't expect me to, uh, to you know, to, to not love my kids and not love my wife. No, Dad, you're, no, you didn't understand that. Uh, my dad does now, but no, what he's saying is if your family draws lines and says it's either us or him, we go with him. Meaning that we, and if, if you really love your family, you will love God more than them. I see so many people that claim to love their children, but they make their children their God. That's not loving your children at all. If you really love your children, then you'll put God ahead of them. If you really love your husband or you love your wife, you will love Christ more than them because when you love Christ more than your spouse and when you love Christ more than your children and when you love Christ more than your family and you put him first, then being under his authority and placing him at the number one spot, he then makes you someone capable of really loving them. That Now they're not possessions to you. They're not, they don't have the, the pressure put on them to fulfill your peace and joy. Don't put that kind of pressure on a spouse. Don't put that kind of pressure on children. Don't put that kind of pressure on your family. You free them from that when you said that's only found in Jesus. And now Jesus will make me the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the son, the daughter, the uncle, the aunt, that only he can make me. Now I can really love you. 
You don't love people when you put them before God. You actually, you actually put them in a terrible position. And that's why Jesus says this, in case you don't understand that. But he's also making the point that, that we are loyal to him above all. And that sometimes can be very, very difficult, especially if your family says if you leave the Catholic Church, you now are no longer a Christian. You have condemned yourself to hell by leaving the Catholic Church. That's a biggie. And if you don't think that's true, um, sadly, uh, you probably have not read some of the canons uh, that the Catholic Church believes. Uh, canon number four, if anyone say, saith that by faith alone uh, one is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining the grace of justification, and that is not in any way uh, necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be an anathema. Uh, anathema. Uh, that means to be cast out, to be excommunicated. That's canon four. Canon six, if anyone saith that men are justified either by soul, uh, by solely in Christ or, or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of the grace and the charity which is poured forth in the hearts by the Holy Ghost, and as inherit in them, or even that the grace whereby we are justified and only the favor of God, let him be excommunicated. So what some of the canons say, if anybody believes that we are saved by grace through faith alone, let him be excommunicated. So there's an uncomfortable moment that we have to also remember. The bottom line is Catholics and Protestants are not the same concerning some pretty significant core beliefs. The Catholic Church knows it, and it's okay to acknowledge it, but it must be done in grace, with a gentle spirit, and in love, and it can be a very important mission field. We believe the Bible, and we believe that we are saved in faith alone in Christ, by grace, through faith. Uh, if you have your Bible and or something with your Bible on it, uh, if you want to turn with me to uh, Ephesians, uh, and there's many places that we can turn to, but I'll give you some others, but I'll go to Ephesians first. Uh, if you go to the book of Ephesians uh, and look at uh, chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then, of course, um, you look at chapter 2 in Ephesians. These are very famous verses. If you are familiar with the Bible, uh, this is verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, yeah, we are prepared for good works, but we are not saved by good works. Uh, that would be something that we would respectfully disagree on. Uh, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, you can go to Colossians. Write this down, too. Uh, go to Colossians. If you go to Colossians, um, uh, you want to go to uh, chapter 1, and you want to look at verse 19. Uh, let's go to verse 119. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We continue in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's Colossians 1, 
19 and 20. Some other verses that you might want to make a note of, uh, Titus uh, chapter 3, 5, and then, of course, we look at John 19 uh, and, uh, and verse 30, and we hear the words what? It is finished. So wait a minute. It's finished before I even do anything? It's finished. Now, does that mean that obedience isn't a sound of salvation? I mean, a sign of salvation doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, if you've been in this Bible study any amount of time, you know that we, we land on that hard and heavy. Jesus makes it clear that to those who are obedient are the ones who love him, and the ones who love him are the ones that actually know it. But now if you start getting into this thing out of whack, you start saying that somehow the things that we do earn us salvation, now you're leaving sound biblical theology. So this is a, a mission field. It's right in front of us, and, and a, a lot of the mission field includes people that will make sure that there's ashes on their forehead every Ash Wednesday. Uh, they may be giving up Diet Coke for Lent. Uh, many of our Catholic neighbors need the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially generational Catholics who find themselves in that nominal practice of their religion. Not devoted followers of Jesus. We're talking about nominal Catholics. Honestly, they may have never heard the true gospel before, so what a pleasure and a privilege it is to share it with them. Will we miss the opportunity by incorrectly assuming that they are Christians because they claim some sort of religious heritage? If we believe that salvation is truly by grace through faith alone, then we should care whether or not someone else believes that because their eternity may depend on it. Now, I realize that some of you, uh, I, I don't know how many, probably a lot of you, if you're Catholic, you probably don't listen or watch this Bible study, but you might, uh, because you may already have some pre preconceived um, uh, mark against me because you know that I'm not Catholic, and I know many of your uh, emails claim that I'm not a true Christian because I'm not. Um, I don't, you can't support that with, with Scripture. I, I've heard some of the attempts to do that. Uh, they are weak uh, on all accounts. Um, nor am I going to declare that any denomination makes you a Christian uh, and, and because I know that's not biblical either. Uh, we, we are redeemed by Christ alone, by His grace, through our faith. Uh, we're told if we repent of our sin. And, and, and nowhere in there does it say that we, can, we live a life of perpetual deliberate sin, that we keep running back and going through a few rituals, that somehow that removes it. No, our sins are removed by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Uh, as a matter of fact, you see that Paul, writing to Timothy, says that um, we only have one who intercedes on our behalf, and that's Jesus. You know, when, when that veil was torn... When Jesus Christ said it is finished, we now have access to God, not through another human being, but we have access to God through Jesus himself. And Paul makes this extremely clear in Scripture in his letters to Timothy. So I hope that you can receive this in the way it's intended. Next week we'll, we'll get back to another version of cultural Christianity. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, I'm happy to help you any way that I can. Uh, you can email me, rick at rickandbubba.com, and I'm always more than willing not to argue with you, but to, as, as brothers or uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to be able to, uh, as a fellow follower of Christ, or maybe as a follower of Christ, 
uh, to you who may be seeking and searching. Uh, We can have uh, an adult conversation with a gentle spirit, uh, but as Paul also instructed me, I will not engage in foolish arguments that only deter people from the gospel, not draw people to it. So uh, let's, uh, let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this time together. Uh, I, I pray, Lord, that uh, um, my attempt to communicate um, throughout this study things that sometimes can be difficult uh, to hear and difficult to, uh, to apply. But I pray on this specific topic this week, if, if anyone out there is watching or listening uh, that maybe is a nominal Catholic, that type of cultural Christian, that today maybe is a wake-up call that your spirit would pierce their heart. Or maybe they have family members. Uh, maybe they have left uh, the Catholic Church and, and have, have not even told their family this, uh, that they would start conversations that may be beneficial to all involved. Uh, I pray, Lord, that um, you know, if, if someone is, is watching and listening to this that says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know. What does Protestant and Catholic even mean? Uh, but I heard something today about uh, redemption is found only in Jesus, and I want to know about that. Whatever the case may be, I pray right now, if you're, if you're there, that, God, you would just, you would just pierce their heart and prompt them uh, to submit to you, confess their sins. Uh, our Lord, bring them to me if there's any way that I can help them, uh, that they would reach out to me via email or on social media or, or you know, if there's somebody that, that, that I know well enough that they have my, my number, that they would, they would reach out and call me. But ultimately, Lord, I pray that you receive the glory and that the gospel of redemption was clearly presented. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.